excited to say, would you turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Ruth? Um, to the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a very interesting book. I was excited to see that if you are uh, coming to Sunday school with us, you're kind of going to get the, uh, the bonus edition because you, are, you, have, you have been covering Joshua and you're about to go into Judges. So you're going to get some bonus material that's going to help with our sermon series and we'll probably be done with the sermon series by the time you get to covering Ruth in Sunday school. So you're not going to double dip at all. Uh, but uh, Ruth is an interesting book because if you sit down and you, you read Ruth, I have always found Ruth to be some sort of a weird cross between uh, Cinderella, uh, Shakespeare stories, and the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, uh, because you've got this family from little backwoods Israel going off into going off into Moab to try and strike it big, it, it, except it doesn't work out well. So you've got the tragedy of Rome and Jul Romeo and Juliet. You've got the uh, the little little country family from the Beverly Hillbillies, and then you've got Ruth, our our very own biblical Cinderella, the 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 little one that no one expected was going to end up being who she ended up being. But Ruth overall is a story of faithfulness and redemption. So um, if, you're keeping, if you're keeping score, um, I decided to name our series on Ruth Redemption Story because that's what it is. It's a story of redemption. Um, I want to give a couple of uh, uh, just disclaimers before we begin Ruth. Um, when I tell you that Ruth is a redemption story, um, I do not mean that Ruth is a redemption fairy tale. I do not mean that it is a redemption fable. Um, I mean that it is a story, a true story of real redemption. The, the Bible does not present the book of Ruth as a myth. It does not present it as a fable. It doesn't present it as... A, a bedtime story with a moral. Um, it presents it as a very true, very real uh, part of redemption history, which makes it important for us. So this morning, uh, I want to uh, start out uh, this first chapter. We're kind of going to take it slow because it sets up a lot of what's going to happen in the rest of the book. So if you would stand with me out of the respect uh, for the reading of God's Word, we're going to start in verse 1 and go through the end of verse 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Kilian also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Father, I pray that as we begin this journey through the book of Ruth, that you would uh, teach us the incredible love and faithfulness you have toward us in this morning, the incredible danger. Of, of leaving behind the, the promises that you have given us and ignoring your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, uh, I had intended 
to cover Ruth in four sermons, to do it a chapter at a time, but Jesus said, nope. So we're going to slow it down, and we are going to look at this first chapter a little bit more closely. And this morning, we are going to look at Elimelech um, and his two sons, primarily. Um, you're going to get a little bit of Naomi. You're going to get a little bit of, of Ruth and Orpha. But mainly this morning, we're going to be talking about Elimelech and his two sons. And, and we are going to see the danger of faithlessness and the promises of faithfulness. And we're going to see that in Elimelech and in his two sons. Uh, because Elimelech and his two sons made a bad decision. They decided to choose continuous rebellion instead of repentance. And for Elimelech, Malan, and Killian, it cost them their lives. Their faithlessness actually cost them their lives. And in the same way that God allowed Elimelech, Malan, and Killian to choose whether or not they would depend on God or whether or not they would depend on themselves, God allows each of us to make that same decision. Stapleton, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust God or are you going to trust yourself? Elimelech made the decision for himself and his family I'm going to trust me. It didn't work out too well. Malan and Killian followed him. It didn't work out too well. God allows each of us to decide whether or not we're going to repent and turn to him or continue in our rebellion and accept its consequences. Uh, so first I want us to see, uh, looking at the beginning of this passage, that faithless individuals contribute to suffering nations. Faithless individuals contribute to suffering nations. Uh, verse 1, uh, the, the author Ruth tells us, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Uh, there is a lot packed into this very first verse. Uh, what does it mean in the days when the judges ruled? Judges, if you go back one page in your Bible, you will be in the book of Judges. Uh, Judges is a unique book that I can sum up in one verse. Uh, and I've put it for you on your outline if you picked one up. Um, if not, I'll read it to you right now. Judges 17, 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges as a book, when you read it, Israel has come into the promised land. God has fulfilled what he said he was going to do. Um, he has given them this land that they're going to live in that's good. You know, you, you hear the phrase, um, the land flowing with milk and honey. Um, in Sunday school this morning, uh, Joshua points out to the people, hey, you're living in this land. You've come in here. You've taken it. God's given you cities you didn't build. He's given you vineyards you didn't plant. Uh, you know, he's, you, you didn't even fight to drive out all the kings in his land. God rounded up a, a, a bunch of hornets and drove some of them out on his own. You didn't even have to lift a finger. God's given you all this. So be sure not to forget who actually put you here. Well, the book of Judges is a cycle of them forgetting and remembering and forgetting and remembering and forgetting and remembering. You go read Judges and you're like, geez, these people are dumb. <laughs> it's like the same thing happens over and over and over again, that things will be going really good, and then they'll disobey God, and they'll go off and they'll chase other gods, and God will let some nation take them over, or some king hold them hostage, or you know their crops will die, and then they'll go, oh, we messed up. And God goes, yeah, you did. 
Um, so they repent, then God sends a judge, a temporary ruler warrior type figure that he has enabled to deliver them from whatever is oppressing them at the time and they, they repent and they say oh we'll never do it again we'll never do it again next chapter they do it again and it happens the whole book over and over and over again why because there's no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes there is no earthly authority enforcing a law and they are not recognizing the heavenly authority that put them there. It's total and complete individual anarchy during the time of the judges. That there are some loosely agreed upon ways they should live because they're not obeying the law that God gave them. There's no king to enforce uh, any laws that everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. This is the context in which Ruth takes place. That everybody's doing whatever it is they want. That it's not an obedient people. They are not obeying what God has told them to do. They are not living the way God has told them to live. They are not living loving each other. They are not living loving God. It's every man for himself. That's where we are in the book of Ruth. And what is the result of this? That there was a famine in the land. Now Josh, how are you putting together... What's going on in the book of Judges in the time period, and how are you saying that's why there was a famine in the land? Well, I'll tell you why. If you go back, which this is not on your handout, I'll just read you a couple things God said in the 26th chapter of Leviticus. Leviticus 26, 3 and 4. This is to the people of Israel now. Okay, this is not me telling you that if you go and you offer burnt sacrifices, God's going to give you a good crop. Okay? I'm not telling you that. Leviticus 26, verses 3 and 4. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Go a few verses down to verse 18. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron. Meaning what? It's not going to rain. And your earth like bronze. Meaning what? Stuff ain't going to grow. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Israel was a unique time period in the history of the Bible in that God had got his, his people, his literal ethnic people, Israel, in a literal earthly land right here, and he's given them a covenant. He says, I made a promise to your forefather Abraham, I was going to give him and his descendants this land. I was going to multiply his descendants. Here's this land that I'm giving you right now. If you obey me, then I'm going to let you stay here, and it's going to bring fruit, and the, the crops are going to grow, and you're going to have rain, and I'm going to protect you from your enemies. But if you disobey me, it's a covenant, just like every other covenant. It's a contract between him and Israel at this point in time in history. That's the way this works. You obey me, here are the blessings. You disobey me, here are the curses. So if there's a famine in the land, and you connect that with the time period this is happening in the judges, that everybody's doing just whatever it is they want, all you have going on here is a fulfillment of the promise that God has made his people. If you disobey me, the land is not going to produce its fruit. It's not going to produce a crop. 
They're disobeying. So the land is doing exactly what God said the land would do. They're disobedient. They're not listening. And the consequence of that at this time period was a famine in the land. Now, listen, I, I do want to say this before we go forward. That Israel, at this time period in Scripture, this is kind of a special case. We as Christians, we don't look at the Old Testament law and say this is the way God intends us to live our lives. We don't walk around with tassels on the corner of our robes to set us off as God's special people. You will never come here on a Sunday morning and see me slaughtering an animal to be a burnt sacrifice. You know, how many of y'all like shrimp? Anybody like shrimp? You're glad you don't follow the Old Testament law, okay? We are not the ethnic geopolitical nation of Israel that existed in the Old Testament. We have a covenant with God. We have the new covenant in Jesus' blood. This is the old covenant. We, don't, we have a promised land. It's the new heaven and the new earth. That's our promised land. Our promised land is not on this earth right now. So don't mistake what's happening here for, you know, it has kind of a direct parallel in our lives. What you need to see here is that God keeps his promises. His good ones and the ones that we don't enjoy all that much. He had promised them, hey, what you sow, you reap. You're sowing disobedience. I had promised you in this land, if you're disobedient, the land's not going to give its fruit. If they're disobedient, the land's not giving its fruit. So what's the remedy for this? If they're disobedient, if they're faithless, what do you think the remedy for this would be? It would be repentance. It would be turning back to God. It would be confessing their sin and saying, hey, Father, have mercy on us. We sinned. We were wrong. We were rebellious against you. We did not obey what you told us to do. We did not listen to you when you spoke to us. Please forgive us. We're starving here. Unfortunately, that's not what our main man Elimelech does. Uh, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to go dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. Uh, this is possibly the dumbest thing he could have possibly done. And I am not ashamed to say that. Though, Josh, that's really strong language. Okay, would it be better if I said he was a fool for doing this? I can't say this any stronger. What's the de what, why is this so dumb? Well, he's leaving Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. He is leaving house of bread in the middle of a famine to go to Moab. What's the deal with Moab? It's a land where the locals were forbidden from joining the assembly of the Lord because of how they treated the Israelites when they left Egypt. Do you know what they did to the Israelites when the Israel left Egypt? Make a note, this is in Deuteronomy 23.4. When, when the Israelites left Egypt, God forbade them as a result, that he forbade the Moabites from joining his assembly because they did not meet the Israelites with bread and water on the road when they came out of Egypt. Moab has a history of not helping hungry Israelites. They were cursed by God for not helping his chosen people whenever they were hungry when they left Egypt. 
So this Israelite living in the promised land that God pretty much said, all you got to do is repent. All you have to do is turn from your sin. You know, the classic promise to the Israelite people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, then I will hear from heaven and I will what? Heal their land. Forgive their sins and heal their land. Well, that's what they needed. They needed the land healed. But they chose not to repent. Instead, this Israelite left the promised land, left the city literally named the house of bread, to go into Moab, a cursed land, who was cursed because they have a history of not helping hungry Israelites. This was the best idea he could come up with. Any obvious reason Elimelech had to avoid going to Moab, and there were plenty of them. If you want more, I invite you. Go home and Google Moab. You will find out two things. There's also a city in Utah named Moab, and they did a lot of evil things to Israel in the Bible. There was no good reason to go to Moab. He ignored all of that and went there anyway. So what does that mean for us today? Israel was a faithless nation during this time period. Nobody will ever see this on this recording, but I know what's going to happen. How many of y'all are concerned for the, the spiritual health and faithfulness of our nation? Anybody concerned for the spiritual state of the United States of America? Stapleton? Anybody, anybody concerned for the spiritual state of Stapleton, Jefferson County, state of Georgia? Do you want to know what the remedy for a faithless nation, a faithless city, a faithless state is? Be faithful yourself. Elimelech's looking around and seeing everybody do whatever else is, is, is right in their eyes. So why not do whatever he thinks right in his? You can't control what everybody else does, but you know what you can do? You read this in Sunday school this morning. Listen to this, Joshua 24, 15. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You cannot control what your next door neighbors do and don't do. You can't do that. You can, and I'll tell you something about uh, uh, legislatures and elections. No, I'm not going to get political. I don't like doing that. But you can vote somebody in. Once they're up there, they don't, they're your representative. They, they, they can do what they want to do. You can vote them out, but for that term, guess what? They're there. You can't make them do anything. The one thing you can control is whether or not you are going to be personally faithful to God. That's what you can do. Well, I just don't feel like it has an impact. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You're going to see throughout the rest of this book what the impact 
of one faithful person amongst a faithless generation can have. Ask Rahab in Jericho whether or not being faithful in the midst of a faithless city can make a difference to you and your family. She'll tell you when she was the only one in Jericho left alive. Yeah, it made a difference to us. Being faithful in the midst of a faithless nation, that's the difference. You want to know how to, you want to, know how to change your, your, your city, how to change your state, how to change your country? Here's how. You don't do it, you don't do it through the legislature. You cannot legislate heart change. You know that? The Georgia State Legislature can pass a bill saying, we hereby decree that everyone in the state of Georgia will repent of their sins and trust Jesus. They actually can't do that. But if they did, do you know how effective it would be? Not. It wouldn't be. Because you can't legislate heart change. You can't make enough rules to change your city, your state, your country, your world. You can't do that. Rules don't change hearts. You want to know what will really make a difference in the people around you? Is if you take your faith as seriously as you say you do. Be faithful yourself. Because nations are just made up of large groups of individuals. Be faithful yourself. Listen to Hebrews 3, 16 and 19. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. The reason that the folks who didn't go into the promised land initially didn't go in was because they were unbelieving. It was because of their unbelief. Their unbelief led to their disobedience. The reason that everyone did what was right in their own eyes during the time of the judges is because of their unbelief. It was related to their faithlessness. The reason Elimelech stopped trusting the promises of God and said, I'm going to solve this problem on my own. I know what God told me the solution to this really is, but that doesn't look good to me. That doesn't look like it's going to work. I just don't trust that if I do what God told me to do, God's going to do what he said he would do. Is it starting to, to, to hit home a little bit? We do the same thing. Do you really believe that God is good for his word? If you do, then you'll listen to what he said. It'll affect the way you live your life. Put this in perspective of the gospel. Do you really believe that Jesus is the solution to your sin problem? Do you really believe that Jesus is the solution to your relationship with God problem? Well, I want to be on God's good side, but I just don't think that this whole trusting in Jesus thing, that can't be it. That seems too easy. I, I, must, I need to do some stuff. I need to go over here. I need to give some money. I need to go on some mission trips. I need to do some service projects. I need, I need to get my hands there. I, I, it, it just can't be. This belief thing can't be. There's got to be something I need to do. I need to work harder and make this happen for myself. No. Just repent and believe. Believe what God said, which is trust Jesus. That's how you write with me. 
How do you solve this famine, Elimelech? Well, you could just repent of your sins and turn back to God, since that's why he said the famine's going on. No, I need to go. I've got to take care of my family. I'm going to do this myself. I, I know that's what the Bible says, Pastor, but be careful. Faithlessness. Faithless individuals contribute to suffering nations. If you want to see your nation turn back, if you want to see your state turn back, if you want to see your city turn back from faithlessness, be concerned first with your personal faithfulness. Always look in the mirror first. Faithless individuals contribute to suffering nations. Second, faithless leadership contributes to damaged families. Now, this is almost kind of a, a, a point 1.5 rather than a point two, because um, I, I just want to point out something specific, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, uh, ladies, you're going to get a little bit of a break here on this one. Men, I'm specifically addressing you. There's some application for ladies, but men, this is primarily toward us. Okay, so listen, listen to verse two. The name of the man was Elimelech. Do you know what Elimelech means? It means my God is king. But that doesn't seem to matter to him enough for him to stay in the land that his king gave them. Elimelech means my God is king. The name of his wife was Naomi, which means pleasant. And the name of his two sons, never name your children this. Malan and Killian means sick and dying. Okay? Their children are literally either Malan to be sick or Killian to be finished or come to an end. So sick and dying. Why did they name their kids that? Well, I think Naomi probably had a hand in that because Naomi is going to be overly concerned with names here in just a little bit. It's in the middle of a famine. You know, their children are probably um, somewhat malnourished for a little bit, so probably would have been fairly weak and feeble when they were born. So let's just go whole hog on these kids and name them sick and dying. So that, that's exactly what happened. So th then in verse 3, uh, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, her and her two sons. Now, what possibly could you tell me uh, in, in this verse that's going to matter to my life? Like, I don't see any application here. I don't see how this is going to make a difference. Elimelech's decision to be faithless to go into Moab in the middle of a famine instead of repent and to trust God and trust God to provide like he said he would do in the covenant with his people, that contributed to Elimelech dying. Naomi was left without a husband because of Elimelech's faithlessness. She is now a single mother of two sons. Because Elimelech was faithless. You think, men, men, do we think that our faithlessness only affects us? It affects our families. It affects our friends. It affects our churches. Faithlessness is not just a personal problem. There is this belief in our culture today that, that faith is a private matter. 
Believe whatever you want, just don't talk to me about it. No. No, 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 no. There is no such thing in the Bible as a private Christian. Well, I just, I just don't want to offend anybody. Well, there's one problem with that. Jesus said your faith is offensive. If we're Christians and we don't occasionally offend somebody with our faith, I've got to ask whether or not we've got the faith Jesus said was going to offend people. Faithlessness is not just something that is a personal issue. It destroyed this family. Naomi was left without a husband, which would have been, it, it's already a tragedy when a woman loses her husband, but in this day and age, this was a body blow. She, she, she was too old, she's going to tell us uh, next sermon, she's too old to have any more children. When She's got Malin and Killian right now, but they're not long for this world, which you should know because of their names. That Elimelech's faithlessness is what brought this on. Listen to Genesis 3, 17. Um, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And for those of us who were with us a few weeks ago, what's the final point of that curse? What did God tell Adam was going to happen? He was going to die. He had promised Abraham ahead of time, you eat from this tree, you're going to die. They ate from the tree, you're going to die. God kept his word then. Now, you read this and you say, well, Josh, are you blaming Eve? No, I'm not. I'm blaming Adam. Because he listened to Eve more than he listened to God. Adam should have been there faithful to protect his wife from the lie of the serpent. He should have been there faithful to reject the fruit from the tree. Elimelech should have been there faithful to say, no, we as a family are going to serve the Lord. We're going to repent, even if it's hard. In fact, let's, let's read Genesis 3.17 this way. Then to, insert your name, God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your monetary fears. Because you have heeded the voice of your societal fears. Because you have heeded the force of your personal desire. Because you have heeded this instead of listening to me. Now, am I saying that God is some cosmic cop who sits up in heaven and rains down judgment on you? No, I'm not. God is overly merciful to us. If God rained down judgment on us every time we did something that deserved judgment, wouldn't none of us be here? We'd all be out back. Back there in the cemetery. That, that, that's where we would be if God was not merciful but can we, can we all share testimony that there's consequences for our sins? Faithlessness matters, especially for those of us who have the God-given responsibility of being leaders in our family. And listen to me, men, we're going to fail because we're frail. We're fickle. We're imperfect beings. We're going to fail, but please don't fail like Elimelech and go in there and go whole hog and not repent and not turn around. 
Faithlessness has consequences. In fact, listen to this. This is how God says you're supposed to love your wives, husbands. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives, how? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. If you're a faithless husband, that undermines the entire premise of your marriage, if you're a Christian. You're supposed to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. If you're faithless, how do you have any idea how you're supposed to love your wife? If you're faithless, how do you have any idea how you're supposed to raise your children? If you're faithless, how do you have any idea how you're supposed to manage your money? If you're faithless, if, if you take the king out of the land and just start doing what's right in your own eyes, you end up like a limelech, off in some foreign land, leaving, hanging your, your family out to dry, because you chose your way instead of God's way and refused to repent when it started going downhill. Men, we got a real bad problem of being stubborn. At least this one does. Sometimes what I just need to do is I need to take a humble pill and say, you know what, God, I was wrong. I repent. Forgive me of my sin. Show me how I need to do this. I've been trying to do this my way for far too long. And Elimelech proves you keep going down that road. You keep trying to do it on your own. You keep trying to do it the way you want to do it instead of the way God says do it. You keep ignoring the voice of God, specifically the voice of Jesus for, for all of us. You keep trying to do it your way. There's only death and destruction at the end of that road. And it doesn't just affect you. It affects all those around you. So be careful that faithlessness is, is a big issue. And it cost uh, Naomi, her husband. It cost Malan and Killian, their father. Um, faithlessness doesn't just affect the nation. It affects those closest to us. Uh, here's a fun fact for you um, the, via the Baptist Press. Do you know that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% probability that everybody else in the house will follow? 3.5%. Three and a half out of every hundred times you'll reach the rest of the household by reaching the child. If, you, if the mother is the first person to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability that everyone else in the house will follow. If the father is one to come to Christ, you know what the probability is? 93% that the rest of the family will follow. You think the faithfulness or faithlessness of a, of a father matters? 93%. Y'all, I want children's ministry here, but I want dad's ministry more. <laughs> you get dad's ministry, you'll get kids ministry, I promise you. You get dad's ministry, you'll get kids ministry and wives ministry and sons ministry and daughters ministry. We'll get us some new deacons so the ones we got can say, hey, why don't y'all young bucks help some of this? Don't y'all want that? I want to see young men in here. I want to see young dads in here. I won't be the only one. <laughs> I want to see families come in. Encourage the Christian dads, you know, don't be faithless. And hey, come not, come not be faithless with us. 
If you're gonna be if you if you're gonna call yourself a Christian dad, you're gonna sit at home and be faithless. Don't be faithless. Be faithful and come be faithful here with us because we love you. Dads, husbands, it matters, and that leads us into our third point. Faithless parents contribute to faithless children. Faithless parents contribute to faithless children. Uh, and look at verse four. Now they took wives. Who sick and dying? Sick and dying took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah. Um, and the name of the other, Ruth. You know, I, you know, I, I, read, the, I read this and I, I'd be like, do y'all remember when Oprah gave away all the cars? You remember that? I, I read this passage and I thought they went up there in the famine because they needed food. And I, I read Orpah and I thought, you get bread and you get bread. And you. <laughs> that, I, I was, that one's free. Um, but Orpah, not Oprah. And the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Now listen to this. Okay, Elimelech leads them into Moab. He takes this plunge. We're going to leave everything that God told us to do behind. We're going to go into Moab because we're going to do what I think we should do. Because it's going to be better. It's going to be, I got better ideas than God. So y'all follow me. Let's go. So they go into Moab. Moab, Elimelech dies. Who's now the head of the household? I don't know which one, but either Malan or Killian, whoever is the oldest. They would have been the one responsible for taking care of Naomi, right? So they make the wise decision to undo the error that their father made and turn around as the leader of the household and go back to the promised land, right? Nope. They do exactly what they learned from their daddy. They settle down. Moab's not so bad. In fact, they say, hmm, Killian, yeah, Malin, these Moabite women look pretty good. What you say we get a couple? That sounds good. And then we can build a house, and then we can live in this land where everyone has hated us for generations, and we can starve and die here with our good-looking wives. We're going we're, we're gonna to pay attention to something else. Because no man has ever made a bad decision because of a pretty woman. Verse 4, Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. They had an opportunity to turn around. They had an opportunity to go home. They had an opportunity to do what their father should have done and make right what he did. They had an opportunity to repent. And they said, no, we're going to buy into what our father said. We are going to own this. This is no longer our father's decision. This is our decision. We're going to be like him. We're going to do what he did. We're going to imitate what he did. And we're, we're going to buy into this so hard that we're not even going to marry Israelite women. We're going to marry Moabite women. Do you know that back in Numbers, this is what did the people of Israel in? That Moabite women had a bad reputation. Let me look around make sure. They had, okay, they're no little kids. They had a bad reputation for being sexually promiscuous. In fact, that was one of the reasons that judgment fell on them back in Numbers because they started going after Moabite women and marrying Moabite women. And the Moabite women brought their gods into the Israelite households. And the Israelites started worshiping Moabite gods. One of whom was named Chemosh. 
Do you know one of the ways you could worship Chemosh? You could take your newborn baby and sit it on an altar and light it on fire as a burnt offering to Chemosh. These were the Moabite gods that they offered their children as living sacrifices to these false gods. They seem marriageable. That's who Malan and Killian married. Moabites. And they settled in Moab. Dads, do you think your children aren't watching you? Mothers, do you think your children aren't watching you? That they pay attention. They imitate. Well, if Moab was good enough for my dad, it's good enough for me. But that's the promised land. Eh, that's what they call it. But I mean, my dad didn't have any problem leaving it. Didn't kill him. Well, <laughs> it did. And you know what it's going to do to you? Verse 5, then Malan and Killian also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. What happened to the dad happened to the kids. Why? Kids followed after the dad. But Malan and Killian stayed in Moab after their dad led them there. They didn't repent. They didn't turn around. They stayed there, and they met the same fate of their father. It is no shock that sick and dying get sick and die. So now Naomi is left alone. No husband. No sons. Too old to marry and bear children again. And all she has to show for this trip to Moab is two Moabite daughters-in-law and probably an ugly t-shirt. As far as she can see, she's all alone. Her husband brought her family out there, her and her two sons. They kept it there, and all she has now is three cemetery plots and two daughters-in-law from a foreign people. Still no mention of food. Did not work out well. Uh, just uh, uh, I'll go ahead and say this, and I'm probably going to make some enemies when I do. I don't like country music. I, I just don't. And I see some people now going, I'm sorry, but it's true. But there is a country song that you know, a lot of the people that I, I spent time around um, in, in college and in high school, they love country music. So even though I don't like it, I'm an informed person who doesn't like it. I do know it. Um, and a song actually came to mind um, when I read this. It's from Rodney Atkins. It's a song called Watching You. Uh, and, and it's a little boy talking. He said, uh, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We've got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. And there's, there's sweet, nice moments in that song where he's like, oh my gosh, the kid's on his knees praying beside the bed because he's seen his dad pray. The kid also cusses in the truck because he heard his dad say it before. And the dad's like, where'd you learn to say that? And he's like, you. That our children, those under us, watch us. And this isn't just kids. Y'all, what about, what about folks in our church? Those of us who are older and those of us in authority positions, how seriously do we take it? 
How do we train those under us? How seriously do we take the gospel? When we forgive, when we treat people like Jesus would have a treat, how seriously do we take it? Our children and those who are growing up as our spiritual children under us watch us. They imitate us. They pay attention to us. And, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Do you know why I think Israel was this way? Do you know why I think Elimelech was this way? Do you know why I think Malan and Killian were this way? You know how I think we got here? I think Israel failed at doing this. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them what? Diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Deuteronomy 11, 19 and 21. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Why? Why did God promise this? Or why did he say do this? That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. What happened to Elimelech? Were, they, were their days long in the land that their God had given, had given them, his and his children's? No. Why? They weren't teaching their children what God had told them to teach them. What, what are we doing to, to the... the Y'all, I'm going to be real honest. I wholeheartedly believe... I, I, your pastor, I don't know about you, but your pastor believes in his heart. God's not done with Stapleton. It's not, it, it, you know, are we going to grow? It's a question of when we're going to grow. It, it's it's going to happen. I'm not scared. I'm just not. So when these kids start showing up, are we prepared to take ministry to them seriously? Are we prepared to teach them solid doctrine? When I was a youth pastor um, at my previous church, I had a kid come in and tell me one day, Hey Josh, can you tell me a little bit about the Quran?" I was like, well I could, but why are we asking about the Quran?" They said, because my teacher in, in uh, world studies told me that really Christians and Muslims believe a lot of the same things. They just use different words for it. And I went, well, you know what that tells me about your teacher in world studies is that your teacher has read neither the Bible nor the Quran. They're very different. Are you prepared to, to devote your time and your energy to training our children when they hear something like that to go, nope, that's not true. Are you prepared to pour out your life so that our children will grow up strong in the faith? That the spiritual children in this church, those who come to know Christ, are you prepared, members of Stapleton Baptist, to sacrifice yourself and make hard decisions so that they can learn what it is to be a healthy, mature Christian? Are you ready to do that? Are we ready to teach them diligently to talk about these things when we sit down, when we rise up? Because otherwise, where we end up is we end up in a situation, church, where Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Folks live in a world where they go, well, I know what the Bible says, but that doesn't look all that practical to me. I'm going to handle this my way. And then we got a bunch of Elimelechs, Malins, and Killians sick and dying in their own decisions with no one to say, hey, repent, turn around, come back to God. He will forgive your sins and heal your land. Don't try and do it your way. Repent, turn back to God. The main way you can do that 
Specifically, if you're lost, if you're lost and you haven't given your life to Jesus, you are an Elimelech right now. You are walking around in a cursed land, ignoring what God has told you is the way you can be saved. Ignoring what God has told you is the way that everything that can be made right, that your life can, can bear fruit. But you are deciding to walk around in a cursed land trying to do things your way, and your end is going to be the same as Elimelech's unless you repent and turn. That you will die in a foreign land fruitless. And the scary thing is, probably your children after you. And probably their children after them, unless God providentially intervenes. Listen to what God has said. Repent and turn. Place your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sins and be saved. The, prom the promises are yours for the taking. All you have to do is come to Jesus, repent, and claim them. You can turn back like Elimelech didn't. You have that opportunity. I'm going to pray. If you have questions about what it means to turn back and repent, come talk to me. We'll sit down this afternoon and make an appointment some other time. Um, if you would prefer not to walk up front, if that makes you nervous, you got a guest card on the side of your bulletin. You can fill that out, put that in the offering plate when it comes by. If you're visiting with us, I don't want your money. Don't give it to me. Your presence here is your gift to us today. Um, but put, fill out that guest card on the side. Um, I'll follow up with you. Somebody from the church will follow up with you. Um, if you have questions about Jesus specifically, it will be me who follows up with you. You can meet me at the back door. I just don't want you to leave today with God working on you and you, and you shutting it out and blocking it out. Um, talk to me. Preston's going to lead us in a couple verses. I'll be up here. You have those other options available to you. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for an opportunity to be here with our Stapleton family. Uh, Lord, we love you. Um, we thank you for your grace, and Lord, um, we don't want to be Elimelechs. We don't want to be Elimelech, Malin, or Killian. Lord, we want to, we want to listen to your word, and we want, to, uh, we want to believe that you said if we repent, if we turn, you'll be faithful. Um, Lord, that we can bear fruit, that we can be healthy, that we can be saved. Um, if we'll just believe and listen, and that there's no salvation in trying to do it our way. We just get deeper and deeper and deeper into cursed lands and die fruitless. Um, Father, if there's anybody in here walking around in Moab this morning, bring them home. Um, Holy Spirit, work in their hearts, convict them. We love you. For those of us in Stapleton, Father, we, we pray that you would, you would teach us as Christians not to be Christian Elimelechs, just um, walking around, not teaching our children, not leading, not, not obeying, being faithless. Um, Lord, work in, work in all of us this morning and change us to look more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen.